wondering this morning, um, what if the Lord God of heaven and earth, he, um, he came here to Bridges, and he, out of his goodness and compassion for us, he sat down right next to us. Good morning, Chuck. How are you guys doing? And... Um, he came up to the cheap seats, and he was present, and he said, um, I, I really would love to communicate to your heart. I, I, want, I want you to hear something that I have for you this morning. I'm going to speak deep into you, and um, of course, you're trying to listen to God. You came, that's part of the reason why you came this morning, is to listen to him, and yet... But that voice, um, it's not always something you hear. Sometimes in the rush of all the things you're doing and the stuff you do at church, you don't really hear him. And, um, but he's, he was speaking into you. And, you know, you, you actually had the right heart this morning. And you said, okay, speak, Lord. All right, you really want that. And, um, but he started to address something inside of you that was pretty personal. And that you were grabbing hold of. It was really difficult to let go of. Why would you let go in that moment? If God really wanted you and he wanted you to respond to him, if he wanted to take an area of your life and make it new, why would you let go? Part, um, it would be because you trusted him, right? You, you trusted him more than you trust yourself, you'd say, okay, um, okay, I'm going to listen to you. I want to respond to you. I want to trust you. But um, you know it's hard, Lord. So you'd be motivated because you trust him more than you trust your own motives or stuff. And you'd probably also be motivated if you knew, really were convinced that what he had for you, what he had for you was better than what you had for yourself. Think about that for a moment. Because often we operate as if what we have for ourselves is better than what the Lord has for us. Right? Um, And that drives for us, it often drives the issue we're talking about this morning. This morning we're going to investigate this place in our life that God wants to make new. That we'd really love to pry our fingers off of. And for him to be able to replace that with something far better. But you have to trust him in order for that to happen. And for some of us, that's really, really hard. We haven't ever done it in our life before. Maybe you came this morning, you have no relationship with God. You're here because someone invited you, and I'm really grateful that you came. 
And I'm here to tell you that God has something better for you than what you have for yourself. That what you have for yourself is just a cheap imitation of what God could give you. And that is a relationship with him, forgiveness, grace, a rock-solid assurance that he's true to his promises and that he will give you life to its full, both now and eternally. If you trust him, he'll do that for you. And he'll take this area of your life that often we can get in denial over and say, oh, that's not me, that's, you know, that's the riches issue. It's not my issue, I'm not really rich, so therefore I'm not really greedy, am I? But the truth is that we all wrestle with greed. Let me give you a brief definition of greed. It's our excessive or rapacious desire, especially for wealth or possessions. That's the simple definition. But it's not just this overwhelming desire I have for stuff. It's for my time. It's for anything that is underlined with that capital M for me, for mine. I'm greedy for that. I want more of it. And the thing about greed is it has this insatiable desire in nature. Nothing can put it out, and it wants no rivals. Greed wants no rivals. And that's an issue because God of heaven who created you, made you, who brought you here this morning and gives you life even as you sit there, that God is a God who wants no rivals, no idols, nothing else that you would place as a priority over him. Nothing can stand. All should fall and bow before the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. But greed, it, it places idols in our hearts, in our lives, in our souls. It raises up all kinds of things to be priorities over God. And God wants that replaced. He wants you to be able to let go of that nature inside of you that's destructive, that, that turns you sideways. There's this great story, an account that's found in Joshua chapter 7. I want to invite you to turn over to Joshua chapter 7 in your Bible. If you don't have a Bible this morning, there's some provided for you. You'll find it beginning, the story beginning on page 182 of your Bible. Many of you know the story, so this morning we're going to, I'm going to talk through the, the account and uh, help you understand what's being said, the big picture of what's being said in this account, and then turn us toward Jesus' direct answer that's found in an accompanying passage in Luke chapter 12. But first, this account in Joshua chapter 7, let me give you a little preview of what happens, a little context of what happens in Joshua 7. For those of you who know your history, your biblical history, like Ray over here, um, you'll know that the people of Israel had long been waiting to get to the promised land. And they had wandered around the wilderness for 40 years uh, they almost made it, but when they got to the edge, they couldn't trust God. They couldn't trust him, and so they were turned back, and they wandered around in the desert, and they finally got back to this place where God is calling them to trust him again, and the whole time he's giving them signs of his power and his greatness and his faithfulness and his compassion, his care for them, just like your own life, right? 
how often God has given you signs of his power and his compassion, his grace for you. And, um, and then they get to the edge to take this step and they're faced with this little, this river, the Jordan River, and God parts the river and they walk through. And the first thing they discover when, they're, when they get into this promised land for them is this fortified city that they have no ability in and of themselves to take. It's the city of Jericho. Some of you know this story already. It's the city of Jericho. They get to this place and God has this really wonderful plan for them. They are to walk around the city. And as they walk around the city the first day, they're just to praise God. Their only job is to walk around the city and praise God. And to do that the second day, walk around the city and praise God. And the third day, and the fourth day, and the fifth day, and the sixth day, and on the seventh day, they're to walk around the city seven times and praise God and really let loose the seventh time. And the walls are going to, God is going to deliver the city into their hands. The walls are going to come down. Are you going to trust him? That was the question for the people, right? This crazy wild plan of God. He often has these plans for us. Are you going to trust him? That he has the power. They didn't have the power. Their only job was to be obedient. God's job was to deliver. That's who he is. That's his name, the deliverer. God does that. We obey. So uh, people are are following and they do it the first day, the second day, every day, they get to the seventh day and they have some instructions before the walls come down. And the instructions are found actually in the chapter before Joshua chapter six, starting in verse 18. Let me just read a little of that instruction to the people. But you keep yourselves from the things devoted to destruction. That's all the stuff that these people had chased after in Jericho that were part of their own greed their own collection of their own stuff that they relied on. And all that stuff that's of people's own greed, it will be destroyed. Nothing lasts. Our things that we collect will not last. Lest you have devoted them, you take any of the devoted things and make the camp of Israel a thing for destruction and bring trouble upon it. Because your devotion is then to things and not to God. That's the point. But all silver and gold and every vessel of bronze and iron are holy to the Lord and shall go into the treasury of the Lord. The point wasn't that God needed stuff. The point was that people would let go of stuff and give it back to God and trust him and be dependent on him. And these things would be devoted to God, holy to him. Every resource devoted to God, holy to God. So, I circle around. You know the story, right? Of Joshua and the people, they went around the city. And the seventh time, they blow their shofars, those trumpets. They praise God and bam, the walls come down and they go in and they take the land and everyone's obedient, right? Except for one person. Like everybody was obedient except for this one guy. And as he goes into the city, he sees this stuff that he really likes. This really beautiful, you know, outfit. He thinks, man, that that would look good on me. And some silver and some gold. And he decides to get greedy and greed overtakes him. Not trust or obedience, but greed overtakes him. And he wants it and he takes it. And then when he takes stuff and you know you shouldn't, what happens? What do you do? 
He can hide it in a secret place. And so he, he finds it something. And there's not a whole lot of places to hide in those days, right? So he takes it and he digs this little hole under his tent and he hides it there. And then chapter seven happens of Joshua. The people had experienced this fantastic victory, right? They have all this confidence that they're going to go forward and take the promised land and they're going to do it. And as uh, and they get to the next city, the next little town is called Ai. It's not even a big place. I mean, they've just taken a great fortified city and now they get this little place of Ai and, this, Ai and they say, oh, we're not even going to need very many people. And they, they take this, this contingent of their army, a small part of their army, they go up there to Ai and they get their tails kicked. When they took this great fortified city of Jericho, not one person loses their life or is harmed. When they go to Ai, this small town, 36 men are killed and they're running back the other direction in fear. And Joshua falls down and starts groveling before the, before the God of heaven and earth and says, oh, now what's to become of us? And, and, and how will you ever be glorified or get glory? Excuse me, but God will always get glory. Regardless of what happens to us, God is going to be glorified. It wasn't about God's glory. It was about these people learning obedience and trust. And God was about to teach us, really, it's almost when you read the text, when you read this chapter, and I really would encourage you to read it when you go home, it's a little bit disturbing. It's arresting for a point. So what happens is they come back. Joshua falls down. He's groveling before the Lord, and God says, stand up. Okay, so those are all a little fear-inducing words, right? When God says, be a man, get up. Here's the deal. You've been disobedient. And uh, as the story unfolds, God is going to select the person in front of all of Israel who's been disobedient. And so um, it goes like this. It's your section right here. And you can tell people are looking around, right? They're just looking around at each other. Okay, who's, who's the one? All right gets a little closer. It's this row right here. This is the row. And they're looking at each other. And you know who it is, right? It's dad. It's it's Doug. And, um, you know, he's looking around. You're glad I didn't point to you, right? And, uh, And it's Aiken. He's the leader of the family. That's guilty. And all the people are looking and wondering what, you know, how could you possibly do that? And how did, how did he get selected? And sure enough, he knows his own guilt and he confesses it in front of everybody. Yeah, I did it. And I hid it underneath my tent. So a couple guys go running over to Aiken's tent. They know where it is. They dig it up. They bring it back in front of everybody. They take Aiken the center of the crowd, and his wife and his family and his livestock and all of his stuff. They execute the family, the entire family, because of his sin. They destroy everything and burn it up. That's disturbing, isn't it? It's memorable. From that day on, the people of Israel tell the story of Achan. From generations, they told the story of Achan. Wives would look at their husbands 
when they started to get greedy and do stuff, and they would say, don't pull an aching on me. I don't, don't do this. Men would look at their wives or their kids. Don't be greedy before the God because he's a holy God. Don't do that. And God like, drove a stake in the ground for all of Israel that day. Now, at the end of the day, you might think, wow, that seems so unfair that God would treat. What about his kids? What did they do for this? There is a, a general theological concept that's happening underneath there. It's called federal headship. And if you want more information about it, I'm not going to go, that would be a rabbit trail for the message. But if you want more information, you can certainly look online at a federal headship. There's a lot of different um, articles online that will spin out the doctrine for you. But Achan was responsible for his own family, like, like you are, man. And, and his sin did something. His greed did something because all of our acts of greed, they lead to destruction. Every one of our acts of greed are destructive. So there are some big picture theological truths that are taught, thoughts about ourselves and our relationship to God, are taught in this passage in Joshua chapter 7. And the first is this, that greed is not a private sin. It destroys more than us. Our greed is not a private sin. Like no sin is private. It always affects other people. My greed affects my family and my neighborhood and my city. It leaks out. It seeps out from the vents of the kindergarten and affects all the kids. It affects my neighborhood and affects all of who I am. That's what greed does. My sin hurts not just me, but it hurts other people. Because I no longer tr- I trust in my possessions and my stuff. I no longer trust in the living God. I no longer trust in his supply. And it robs from him. It's not like God needs my stuff, but my stuff, everything I have, all my resources, they belong to God, not to me. And when I get greedy and think, wow, that really is about me. My stuff is about me, my possessions. I'm stealing. I'm robbing from God. So greed's not a private sin. It affects other people. They see me no longer trusting God. They see me trusting my stuff, my bank account, my resources. And second, a second big truth taught in this passage is that God is passionate about my holiness. He is passionate about my holiness. That seems crazy, doesn't it? When I hear the word or you hear the word holiness, often you think, God, that's such an unrealistic expectation. How can I possibly be absolutely holy? You know how? By the power of the almighty God. That's how. By his grace and mercy provided for you through the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's how we are holy. The Bible teaches That when we enter into relationship with God by trusting him and seeking his face, confessing our sin before him, he wipes all of our sin clean and he gives us holiness before the Father. We are positioned as holy people set apart. And he is making us holy. This whole series about being made new, in fact, this whole year is about that. The big word is sanctification. God taking you and all the wrecked places of your life and making it right. Making it not just good, but pure and holy. 
You are called to be holy. It's a passage that speaks to this in 2 Corinthians chapter 6, I just want to mention, that says this to those who would follow Jesus. For we are the temple of the living God. Now the temple was a place that was consecrated, set apart for the holiness of God in his presence. And the New Testament says we don't need this physical building. That was just to show you, a symbol to show you the reality of what life is like in the kingdom of God. You are the temple. You are the place where God resides. And therefore to be holy. As God said, I will make my dwelling among them and walk among them. He's talking about us. And I will be their God and they shall be my people. Therefore go out from their midst and be separate from them, says the Lord, and touch no unclean thing. Then I will welcome you and I will be a father to you. And you shall be sons and daughters to me, says the Lord Almighty. Since we have these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from every defilement of body and spirit, bringing holiness to completion in the fear of God. The people at the end of Joshua 7 learned to fear the living and mighty and holy God. They saw how serious he was about being consecrated, being set apart. This is the same God that we worship and adore, who loves us and gives us grace, but seeks our holiness. So cleanse yourself, Scripture says, of every defilement, and the one we're talking about here, the one that defiles us, is greed. Not letting go and trying to, to grab more stuff. Now, there is a sure and biblical answer to my greed. It comes from the God of grace who addresses these broken places in my life. And it's called the generous life. The generous life. Greed says, mine, 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 mine. That's what greed says, right? In my heart. I want it, I want it, I want it. Generosity says, you first. Greed says, I want more and more and more. And generosity says, I will give my very son to die on a cross out of generosity. The big picture in scripture is about a generous God who gave us life, who gave us this great creation to enjoy, who keeps giving despite our disobedience, who gives grace upon grace, scripture tells us, and he gave his own son. In a minute, we're going to celebrate communion. It is an image of the generosity of God for me, for you, for Bill, for each one of us. It's the generous God that we so take advantage of. So how does the generous life get lived? Well, Jesus addresses that in Luke chapter 12. And we're going to take the rest of our time there. So if you turn your Bible over to Luke chapter 12. Luke chapter 12, again, in this Bible, the Pew Bible, it's page 870. Page 870. Luke chapter 12. So there's crowds of people that are coming to Jesus and he's teaching them and he's taking some aside to talk to his disciples and sung to the big crowd and the crowd's interactive with him. There's tons of people surrounding Jesus. And then verse 13, someone in the crowd said to him, teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. 
What a surprise. Siblings getting after with each other. And the issue is greed. I want more of my parents' stuff. Tell my brother to share because he's not sharing. That's a pretty infantile question, right? Or demand. He wants Jesus to step in the middle of this argument that's about greed and more stuff. And Jesus says, but Jesus said in verse 14, man, who made me a judge or arbiter over you? Now, it's kind of a trick question to this guy. Because on one level, he's saying, well, why should I be the judge? But the truth is, Scripture teaches us that Jesus is the judge. That's part of his role in history. Who made him? God the Father did. Made Jesus the judge to step in and to, and to give truth. So Jesus said to him, take care and be on your guard. Don't just be cautious, but have a guard stand out. Make yourself aware. Okay, this is an issue of greed. Take care against it. And guard against all covetousness or all greed wanting more from others. For one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. Really? Your life doesn't consist of getting more and more stuff. Some of you are thinking, man, we don't have room in our garage for anything more. We've got so much stuff. Maybe we should build a bigger garage. <laughs> Here's a word. And he told them a parable. Well, Jesus is great at telling stories, right? That's how he communicates truth. He doesn't just like hammer people with messages. He said, okay, word picture time. Let me give you a story. The land of a rich man produced plentiful. He just had a great crops and he just, he got a lot of profit that year. And he thought to himself, the rich man, what shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. And he said, I'll do this. I'll tear down my barns and build larger ones. And there I'll store all my grain and my goods. And I'll say to my soul, soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, be merry. But God said to him, fool, this night your soul is required of you. And the things you have prepared Whose will they be? So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. You've got all this stuff and in your greed, you kept pursuing more and more stuff and you never learned the generous life. You never learned what it's like to live rich toward God. Now what? Now what? You know when they discovered King Tut's tomb, all that Crazy, amazing stuff. Some of you have seen pictures and maybe you've seen it in a, in a museum. It's just stunning, all the stuff they found in King Tut's tomb. And the point for King Tut was that he would be able to take it with him, right, to the afterlife. Guess what they discovered when they opened the tomb beside all this stuff? Yeah, he didn't get to take it with him. It was all there. What was the point, right? We don't get to take it with us. So why aren't we living rich toward God? It's because of greed, because we choose the greedy life and not the generous life. When God is calling us to be on our guard, to take care, 
to live rich toward God. Those things last. These don't. And then Jesus has this wonderful conversation with his closest followers about this, where he tells them, you know, the deal is, this is the Ron King paraphrase, all that stuff produces anxiety. When you got more and more stuff in your garage, you wonder if someone's going to break in one day. When you've got all this stuff in your bank account, you're just living for more and more, and you try to measure yourself up, there's always someone who's got more. And it never satisfies you. There's never contentment there. You just want more and more. And one day, you're going to lose it all anyway. So what's the point of living a greedy life? Why have you allowed that to become an idol for you instead of living richly toward God and for where your treasure is? It's the end of his discussion, verse 34 There will your heart be also. Your heart's in a place that will be destroyed, just like all your stuff. Why don't you stick your heart in a place that's rich? Learn to live a generous life, Jesus is calling it to. That's the point. Two very different kinds of life. The life of Achan and the, the generous life that Jesus points us to, to find our richness, our treasure in God. And he owns it all anyway, right? So why aren't we pursuing the generous life? There is a a wonderful study, actually, I want to point your attention to. Hopefully, I'm just provoking your thoughts here. But it's found on Right Now Media. Those of you um, who are part of our fellowship, you've been here for a while, you know that you can access Right Now Media for free. Our church pays for for you to be able to be on it. And there's over 10,000 points of teaching there and videos and clips and all kinds of great resources, a wonderful library. And you've got it right now on your phone or your iPad or your computer. All you have to do is click on it. You can go through our website if you'd like and get on to Right Now Media. Just have your own account there. It's all private. It's all secure. And you can get on it. And I want you to look at us, the teaching series. It's a very easy thing to do. Um, There are four teaching series, uh, teaching points, and they're only 15 minutes a shot but it'll help you in your thoughts about generosity. Chip Ingram gives this series, and it's called The Genius of Generosity. I want to commend it to you um, as a point of application this morning to go deeper in. Think about how is it that I can live a generous life, that I cannot pursue stuff and goods and material stuff and be greedy and then have all these idols in my life that are going to end one day, How can I be a person that lives rich toward God? So it's called The Genius of Generosity by Chip Ingram, and it's short. You can get it on your phone and read it, you know, during a break at work or whatever, at school or whatever, when you're bored at math. Don't do that. Okay. But whenever you have opportunity, and I think it'll be a a great encouragement to you. It'll point you in the right direction. Now, I want you to imagine what it would be like to live this kind of life, this kind of generous life. What would it be like this week if in your family you were rich toward God? Where you didn't live in the pursuit of greed, but you were able to let that go to the Lord and pursue a generous life. What would it look like if you got crazy and pursued generosity and did something surprising to your neighbor? And you mowed their lawn or you did something for them that actually took some time and energy and, and, and maybe some resources that you have that you've been holding on to. 
and you were a blessing to someone else. That you applied not the greed, but applied the generosity of God to somebody else. Here's the deal. God has been overwhelmingly generous to you. Do you have a job? Some of you do. Where'd that come from? It came from the hand of God. Do you have a roof over your head or food to eat? Where'd that come from? It came from the generosity of God. And you can be a vessel of the generosity of God to somebody in a very practical way. And if they ask, let them know, hey, you know what? Jesus has been so generous to me and given me life. I just wanted to express that for you. Simple as that. It's not that hard to do. Generosity is a spiritual discipline. It doesn't just, you don't become great at it overnight. You become better at it each day as you keep learning to be generous. Um, I just want to tell you one quick example, and I won't point out names, but we, um, we have entered into the world of kitchen remodel. I don't recommend it for everybody. Um, it's, uh, anyway, we're, we're in that mode right now. And we had somebody, we got to a place where Sue and I weren't capable to, um, to do some of the repair work. We've been doing all the demo and we did a bunch of the work ourselves. But then we discovered that when we put the sheetrock up, we weren't very good at texturing the walls. And um, to use a quote from the person who helped us out, it looks like the Himalayas in here which was not the intense, right? It was bad. We did a really lousy job with that, with the mud. And um, we had a friend come over and really like just totally do a fantastic job on it, spent hours and hours on it. And um, so we asked him, okay, so what do we owe you? And they said, this friend of mine, he's part of our fellowship, says, um, well, after the, you know, after the pastor discount and the other discounts, you know, da, 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 um, I'd like you to give that money. And this person doesn't have a whole lot of resources. I'd like you to give that money away to somebody else that I know really needs it in our fellowship. That's generosity. We were like blown away. You know, it's just so cool. That's kind of the generous life we're talking about. Not to hold on, but to give away. Not that you have a bunch of stuff. If you sit here and say, yeah, I'm going to be generous one day when I'm really rich. It'll never happen. If you say, I'm going to be generous one day when I'm really pious, when I'm really Jesus follower, really holy, it'll never happen. If you say this week, this week, I'm going to pursue the generous life by the strength of God and I want him and his generosity to flow through me, it will. Now, the most generous statement that's ever been made in history is by our father who invites us into this kind of life. It's when he gave his own son on a cross to die, to shed his own blood, to be broken for us. And we celebrate that generosity through communion. So I'm going to invite Pastor Ken to come on up. He's going to lead us. And I'm going to pray as we do. Would you pray with me? Father, how we don't want to be caught in the false idolatry of our greed. Help us to, to open our hands up to you. Lord, implant in us the generosity that we sense in the gift of your son to us. Make us a generous people. Just looking out how to, how to bless people with your resources that you bless us with in the first place. I wouldn't want to be like Achan, Lord. We don't want to 
in our greed, not trust you for what you have in store for us and how you can provide for us. We want to trust you. We want to be your people, holy, and blessing others through our generosity. So use us, Lord, move us, change us, make us new. I pray these things in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has loved us first. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Bridges Community Church Sermon Podcast. Bridges Community Church is located in the San Francisco Bay Area in Fremont, California. For more information on Bridges Community Church, please check out our website at www.bridgescc.org.